Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Changing the Narrative podcast. My name is Sophie Catherine, and I'm very excited to have you along this journey with me today. So for my first episode of this podcast, I wanted to do a solo episode because I really wanted to tell the story of how this podcast came about, how it was inspired, and why I want to do this. So when we look at the name, starting point here, changing the narrative, narrative is a story, right? This is how we define it. It's basically the story of your life. So what does changing the narrative mean? Well, some of us were raised... I think a lot of us were raised with narratives that maybe don't resonate with us. So changing the narrative of what we've been raised to believe or accepted that is our truth can really shake things up. And basically this podcast is about people who have done that. And I know that I've done that in my life. So I'm excited to share that with you. Changing the narrative is all about shaking up the status quo, taking back our personal power, and making choices that reflect who we are as individuals. I'm excited to bring you on this journey, and I hope that you enjoy my story, but let's get started. So every time I've told my story to people, I've gotten the same response you really need to write a book, Sophie. Like I would buy the book, I would read it. And I've tried. It's not for a lack of trying. I have tried to write my book, I would say three different times. The first time an editor friend looked at it and she was like, right off the bat, I just see anger. And I think the first draft was really just me processing my emotions and my anger from my past. And then the second and third time, just I could never figure out what angle to write it from. And there's a lot of moving parts with my story because there's a lot of people involved. There's my family involved. And that's always very tricky when you get into telling your story. So it was about nine or 10 months ago, I woke up and I I travel a lot for work. So I was in a hotel. I think I was in LA. Anyway, I woke up at 3.33 a.m. And I just had this like aha moment. You know, sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night and you just have this intense moment of clarity. Well, that's what happened to me. So I woke up at 3.33 and I just had this epiphany. It's like, I need to start a podcast. And the name just literally came to me, changing the narrative. And it was so insane. I texted my boyfriend and I was like, you won't believe what just happened. Like, I know that this is something I'm supposed to do. Of course, that was nine or 10 months ago and I'm just getting around to it. But it's scary. It's scary to share your story and your vulnerability on a public scale. So it's something I've been working on, but not necessarily ready to release until now. So bear with me as I jump into it. I am going to be leaving some details out just for privacy and protection of other people. Um, I was born in 1988 in a small New England town, um, youngest of three sisters. And I think, you know, if you were to see my family and I out and about, you wouldn't really think anything of it. But the inside of what we were dealing with was uh, very controlling and fear-based. And I think that's the scariest part to my story is you never would have known what was going on behind closed doors because everything appeared so normal. And I think that that's why the story is very unique. There's not, it's not like you would have seen us and thought we were in a cult, we were in danger because we were taught. To, to, to appear in a, a way that would not attract attention and to seem normal so people didn't question what was really going on. 
I didn't really think much of my upbringing because it was what I knew to be normal. I had been in this church atmosphere um, since I was one and a half. My mom joined the church when I was one and a half, so it was all I ever really knew. Um, But the environment was very control-based and fear-based, and there were very specific teachings about everything. So, for instance, it was taught women could not work outside the home. Um, Their job was to be a wife and a mother. And the kids were not allowed to go to public school, so we all had to be homeschooled. Um, There were no extracurricular activities allowed, such as sports or anything of that nature. If we did want to hang out socially, we we could only hang out with people from within the group. And basically, your family was kind of your social outlet. And really, the only time I'd leave the house during the week as, you know, growing up throughout life was to either go to the grocery store or go to church. So those became, like, havens for me to try to, like, have some semblance of social interaction. And I've never been someone who likes confrontation, but I think inward I kind of struggled with this because I was always very extroverted naturally, and this environment really did not help me with that at all because it was so isolated. I had very small pools of social interaction, and it became very lonely, especially when my sisters got married and moved out of the house. So the first, my first sister, my oldest sister, she had an arranged marriage when she was 19. I was 13. And then about two or three years later, my middle sister had another arranged marriage at 19 and she moved out. So I found myself at like 15 or 16 alone at home with my parents without really any friends or any means of communicating with the outside world. And it was a very dark and lonely time for me. And I think... Even in that space, I didn't really know where I fit or what I needed to do. I knew that I had basically one option, and it was to get married. And that made sense because I wanted to move out of my parents' house. In order to do that, I had to get married. So that was the next step. So when I was 17, my parents made an agreement with another family in the church that I would wait for their son. And it wasn't like I didn't want to marry this person. I'd known him since I was nine years old. You know, I was very attracted to him and it seemed like a good fit. So from the ages of 17 to 19, I was in a prayer time for this guy. I didn't really know what he knew. I didn't know if he knew that I wanted to marry him or anything because we weren't allowed to talk. All of the conversation that we had was done through our parents or the elders. So boys would be on one side of the room and girls on the other and you really never crossed that boundary. So we would make eye contact and somewhat talk once in a while, but we weren't really allowed to communicate. So I never really knew what he was thinking or what was going on or what he knew. So when I was 19, I heard through a mutual friend that he had a girlfriend and was leaving the church and uh, enlisting in the army. And I was very devastated, you know, at the time. I didn't really know why. I thought maybe there was something wrong with me. I didn't know. And um, I struggled with this for a long time. And he... Before he left for the army, he had come to a church function and he kept kind trying to come near me. And like, I was so upset with him. I didn't really want to talk to him or look at him. And um, this would continue. He Every time he would come home from leave, he would show up at church or something. And I felt weird about it because I didn't know why he was coming around. And then um, about a year and a half after he had left the church, my mom told me that he had sent me an email. And back in the day, you know, when I had my Yahoo account, you would sign in and it would keep you signed in. Well, apparently she saw the email 
read it and then deleted it and never told me about it. So I never knew that he actually reached out to me to explain why he had done what he had done. And there was a lot of mixed emotions about that because first of all, you know, it really bothered me that my mother would intervene in my personal life like that. And also I never got to read what he said and that would have given me a lot of closure. So there was a lot of mixed emotions about that whole experience. And I was really unhappy. I contemplated suicide. I thought there was something wrong with me. And I decided like, you know what, I need to get a job. I need to get out of this environment because I can't sit around and wait for someone to marry me. Like this is not what I want. And I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody. But I knew that if I could get out of this environment, make a life for myself, then I could break free from this control that was all over me. And I started small. I asked my parents if I could get a job at the grocery store. And at first they said no. And the elders of the church didn't think it was a good idea. And then eventually my dad came around and he was like, you know what, you can get a job, but you know, you have to follow the rules. You go to work, you come home, that is it. So in the meantime, you know, I had to get away to get to car, get to work. I had to get a way to communicate. So I ended up getting a Volkswagen Jetta that was a stick shift. And I had to teach myself how to drive it because I had never driven stick before. So that was a learning curve. And then I got a phone. And so there were these little bursts of freedom or I guess liberation, you can say. I mean, even though it was in a controlled space, it still was exciting. So I had, I applied to this place. I got the job. I'm working. I'm moving into a different department. I started as a cashier, obviously entry-level position for a young girl at 19, 20. And then I moved into the bakery department. And then I started helping at the store. They would have me help with the flu shot clinic. And I would go to the schools and read to kids for like different events, like the Dr. Seuss pancake breakfast. So I became like, I started to learn how to be really professional and be kind of a public face. And it was, even though it was a small entry-level position at a, at a job, for me, it was exciting because my only options were marriage. I really couldn't dream about college or anything beyond that. So this new job was really a new avenue of excitement for me. And I was making friends at work, but I couldn't hang out with them. And I didn't really know how to it was a weird situation because just like when I was little and I would make friends outside the church that I couldn't hang out with, here I am 19, 20 years old, making friends at work. I can't hang out with them. They don't understand why because I'm an adult. So I'm trying to find creative ways to excuse this, this seemingly silly thing that, you know, I, it's so hard to explain because people have always asked me like, why didn't you leave? You were 20. But when you're raised in this mindset, then you're so controlled. Leaving just doesn't seem like an option. I mean, if I was to leave, I knew I would lose the entire community that I've ever known. I don't know what would happen with my family if they would talk to me anymore. I'd basically be alone. And I, I believe that I would go to hell. Honestly believe that I would be condemned to hell if I left this group. So there was a lot riding on this decision. So it's not as just as easy as just leaving. And also, I didn't have a lot of connections outside. So if I was to leave, where would I go? Who would I stay with? So those were all concerns of mine. But as I started to build this life outside of the group, I started to make connections. And then eventually there was a way to leave. So eventually, you know, I'm working. I'm working in the bakery. And at this time, I was trying to get into a new job. Um... I knew I could not support myself on this income, and I knew that I needed to find a better career for myself. And without a college education, there wasn't a ton of options for me. 
But I knew that if I could get into banking and finance that I might do better for myself. So I had tried to get into this bank and I had applied and never heard anything, but I knew who the head of HR was. And one day she comes in to order a cake. Lo and behold, I make a connection. She offers to get me a job at the bank because I, I kind of sold myself. I shot my shot. I was like, hey, I know you're the head of HR at this bank and I really think I'd be a great fit. I've been trying to apply and she said, oh my gosh, yes, we would love to have you. Let me get your contact information. And if something opens up, I'll call you. So throughout like this time, she would call me with different jobs, but some were too far away. I'm like, no, I really would like to be local. No big deal. Something else will pop up. So eventually a summer job opened up in my hometown and she called me for it. And I was like, absolutely, I want it. But in order to take it, I had to leave my current job. And it was a temporary position. So it was very scary for me to leave, but I knew it was a door, a foot in, and it would be a good job for me. And eventually maybe I could be more independent. So in this time, I meet this guy at the grocery store and he's a new employee and he looks just like the lead singer of Switchfoot, long blonde hair, Converse, skinny jeans, white t-shirt. And I, he was so foreign to me, like he was so different. And We would talk and come to find out he was a Christian and he liked the same bands that I did. And for me, it was such a departure from any of the guys that I had known in this church that I'd grown up in. And I really felt rebellious. I guess I was kind of sick of everything. I was done with the judgment and the control and the feeling of everything being planned for me, that he was just this like vacation from a lot of the things that I was dealing with. So... My parents somehow found out I had a crush on him and they would sit me down for hours and try to tell me that this was not a good idea, that I needed to stay true to the teachings of the church. And I didn't really care. I guess I would sit and like appease them. I'd listen, but I wasn't really about what they were saying. And eventually this this flirtation and this crush turned into more of a I guess he would ask me out and I would make excuses, but I really wanted to go out with him. And eventually we started to sneak off together and we'd find stupid places to meet up. And I would tell my parents I was running errands or I was going here, but I was really meeting up with him. And we weren't doing anything crazy. We were just hanging out. But eventually someone from the church saw me out with him and basically announced it in front of the church that I was meeting up with a boy. And that was when it really started to kind of collapse on me. And I felt like I had nowhere to go and I had nothing to do because at this point, once your reputation is jaded in a group like that, you're seen as an outsider and damaged goods, so to say. So because I was seen with another boy, I was therefore sinful and really not welcome anymore. And I could just feel the judgment from everybody and my parents were embarrassed. And it seems like it's such a little thing, but in an environment like that, it's huge. So I knew I kind of had to leave. And then my parents would eventually give me an ultimatum. We were, (laughs) they took me for this drive. And at this point, I was kind of going to church with this guy and his family. And I was kind of just doing whatever I wanted. And um, we pulled out on the scenic overlook in, in New Hampshire. And they got out and they were like, we need to talk to you. They're like, you, you have choices in this situation. Um, so Basically, you can give us your phone, you can stop talking to this guy, and you can stop going to church with him, or you can move out. And I gave him the old middle finger, and I said, well, fuck you, I'm moving out. And it was a very quiet ride home. At this point, I had transitioned into this temporary position at the bank, and I'd made connections, so I knew I had a place to go through a coworker there. So 
As immediately when we got home, I drove up to her place and asked her if I could move in, and she said that I could. So I ended up packing up my Volkswagen Jetta the next day with a few things that I owned um, and said goodbye to my family, got in my car, and drove away. And it felt as though this huge elephant that had been on my chest for my 20 years had just kind of got off my chest and walked away. And there's there's something to be said about that. And when we talk about changing the narrative, that was a huge narrative for me. I was walking away from everything. I didn't really feel like I had a choice in the matter because, I mean, obviously I had a choice, but I already knew that people knew about me in the sky and my parents knew, like I was kind of, I already knew that it was, there was really no other option for me than to leave because if I had stayed, it would have just been so uncomfortable to have people judging me. So I left and me in the sky, you know, I, I moved out in August of 2010 by February, 2011, we were married and that's how quick things happen. I kind of rushed into marriage with him because all I knew was to have a quick marriage and we obviously wanted to have sex and everything. And we couldn't do that unless we were married because there was all this judgment. And that's another thing I want to touch on really quickly. Even in We can say, yes, I'm from a cult type environment, and this was a huge thing about purity before marriage, but in any Christian organized religious affiliation, there's this huge, I don't know, what do they say when there's something in the room like this elephant in the room? Let's keep talking about an elephant since I said one got off my chest and walked away. There's this elephant in the room when it comes to purity before marriage. And if you don't adhere to this, you feel like you are a piece of trash. And so many girls I knew that had went all the way before marriage and shared that with me were carrying so much guilt even into their marriage. And I just, my heart hurts because that is not a reason to get married. That is not a reason to rush into anything because you feel this pressure to have sex. Because even though it wasn't spoken, I could feel that pressure from my then partner he wanted to be intimate with me and I felt like I had to like be right before God and it's put on the woman a lot like oh well you can't you know dress in a way that attracts and causes this attention like it's all about the woman and like being you know this like adulterous like slutty you you gotta be holy for the guy like help keep your brother from sinning like you know all of that I say fuck you and it's not that I'm against purity before marriage. I think if it can work out for people, that is amazing love and light. I'm so happy for you. But there's so much to be said about the people that feel this pressure and then rush into something and then they instantly regret it, which was my situation. And I was a newly married girl. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no community to fall on. I had no friends to talk to about sex. I it was such a dark time for me. And like anybody that's listening that's gone through something like this, like I, I really encourage you to get therapy and seek help because it was something that was not healthy. And I don't want this to be like a heavy podcast, but it's, it's also, you know, I want to be vulnerable about what happened. And there really was no support for that in church. It was just like, oh, they're in the honeymoon phase. They're probably like, enjoy. so before you get married, it's, no sex before marriage. But once you get married, it's like, oh, they're having so much fun. But as a woman, for me personally, I had put up so much, so many walls when it came to intimacy, because I was trying to protect myself from being impure. So by the time I got married, those walls don't just fall. (laughs) Like, I'm not in a space like I'm just going to be no inhibitions, a super sexual goddess. Like, no, I, I had a lot of trauma around sex. So yeah, and 
our first year of marriage was just really hard and I felt like I didn't know who to go to. I, I didn't have really any friends or family to support me because I'd made this decision to walk away from the church. And so I'm in a new church family and I'm in a new family altogether with my then partner. And, you know, he was playing video games and calling out of work and I was overwhelmed trying to take care of everything. And I didn't really want the life I had, but then I had made this decision. I had made a commitment. I'd gotten married. So I was really going to make it work no matter what, even if I was miserable. And an opportunity presented itself at his church. And I thought it was like the best thing that could have ever happened to us. So we were in a church that was kind of dying, I guess you'd say to my, my partner's church at the time was very old school and they were trying to breathe new life into it. So there was this internship program and we were scouted for it. So we had three options of where we could go. My, my partner wanted ex ex-partner, big, you know, big shocker here. Um, he wanted to be a youth pastor. That's what he had told me. So this program seemed perfect because he'd be able to mentor, have a mentor as a, that's a pastor and like work under him and learn the ministry. And, um, we were given three options of where we could go. So the first one was Baraboo, Wisconsin. And I'm going to tell you that was like the farthest down, down on my list. I was not going to go there. The second one was Presque Isle, Maine, and that didn't sound good either. And then the third option was Bellingham, Washington. And I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Absolutely. Let's go to Bellingham. So we flew out to meet the pastor and his wife and kind of do a tour. I fell in love with the PNW, like the Pacific Northwest was beautiful and it was everything I wanted. And I just, I knew that it was like this amazing opportunity to leave behind the old and start the new. And I was so ready for it. So at this point, my mom and dad were trying to iron out things with my then in-laws and had arranged this dinner. And me and my ex were like, well, this is perfect. We can sit down and share with them that we're going to do this cross country move. And I was nervous because I knew my parents wouldn't be okay with it. Uh, already I had shaken the boat with so many things I'd done, but you know, that's me. <laughs> so we sit down to dinner and, you know, we have dinner and everything with my in-laws and my parents. And um, we're like, well, we have an announcement. And my mom goes, you're kidding. And of course her mind's going to, I'm pregnant, correct? You know? And we're like, hey, like, just so you know, we're moving cross country to start an internship with a ministry out there in Washington. My parents just get up and leave the table. And I like follow my mom into the kitchen and she is just like slamming dishes in the dishwasher, like furiously. Like she is just so frustrated. And I'm like, mom, you okay? And she's like, well, I'll tell you one thing. This is either going to make or break your marriage. And I looked at her and I said, it's going to make it. Three months later, we were packing up our car, driving cross country. And it was the adventure of a lifetime. I really didn't know what was going to happen in that internship program. And when we got out there, it was definitely not what we were thinking it was going to be. And my ex struggled with a video gaming addiction and that really hindered him in the internship. And it was brought to my attention by the pastor's wife that he was gaming. It became a whole thing. Basically the internship ended abruptly, really badly. Um, it would become a trend for me with this, with my ex to see down the road that there was always an excuse for why things didn't work out. And for about a decade, I believed him. And then eventually I realized, oh, this is just him. <laughs> but I learned a lot. And I think, you know, even though I regretted marrying him, and that's, that's another thing I want to touch on, I knew in my heart that it was not the best decision. 
but I felt so far gone and I felt like I had no other option and I had made this big stand and I went against my intuition and I marry him because a lot of the advice that I got back then was from people in his church and my ex was very charismatic uh, very manipulative, very sweet to people. So they didn't see what he was truly like. So I feel like I, I've always been very intuitive. I can always read people very well. But back then, I just didn't trust myself enough to go f- through with that. So I married him and then went into situations where people would tell me what was going on, but I didn't want to see it. So for anybody listening out there, one of the biggest things I can tell you from my story is trust your gut. Like, your intuition will always lead you 99.9% of the time. You just have to trust it. So I had at this point gotten a job on the West Coast um, to support him while he was in this internship because it was an unpaid internship. And we'll just say I got a job at Trader Joe's and it was life-changing. That company back then was amazing. And I made connections with people that I never thought that I would. And I went in to living on the West Coast as this very conservative, uptight Christian. And I left being an open-minded, loving individual. And I think what happened was the people there changed me. I'd grown up with all these ideas about people that were different from me and my faith. And I started to find that people that thought differently than me were more loving than anybody I'd ever met in church. You know, I had Wiccans showing me love. I had atheists listening to my story and being so supportive. And... I was meeting gay people and trans people and, you know, it just, they would share their stories with me and it was changing my perception on everything I'd ever believed. It was shaking me to my core and I started to really question my place in the church and if it's what I wanted for my life. And when the internship did end, there was this really hateful way that it was handled through people in church. And I thought, wow, like this is this is no different than where I came from. You know, I thought by leaving a cult and joining a mainstream Christian church that it would be a different experience, but I found the same shit each church that I went to. And I would eventually move up in this job at Trader Joe's to a point of management, and I um, I never fully got promoted, but I was in a space where I could be. They didn't have a space for me in this particular store, so they were going to transfer me out to Seattle. And I had this, like, aha moment. A few years before this, I had met a flight attendant on a cruise, and she had really been adamant with me that this is a career that I should look into for myself, and it seemed so far beyond what I could ever think for myself. It was such a it was such an out there position. I mean, for me, my job was to support my husband so that he could become a youth pastor. Like that was going to be my role. So becoming a flight attendant seemed selfish in a way because it seemed like well, I won't be there at night for dinner. I, maybe I won't have Sundays off so I can go to church. Like there was all these things about it that seemed so out there for me. And, but as I'm like going through this management process and I'm getting ready to like move up in a position, I really felt challenged. Like this is, is this what I want? Like when I really sat down and thought about it and I, at this point I was having really bad anxiety. I wasn't sleeping. I was super stressed out because I realized I was trying to move up the ladder in this company because I was trying to prove to myself and everybody else that I'd made it. And it wasn't really what I wanted. I was doing it for other people. And I think when we're in this narrative of people pleasing and we're in this narrative of performance, 
we're not necessarily thinking about what we should be doing for ourselves. We're thinking about how everybody else perceives us, what everybody else wants from us. And when you change that and you make a decision doing what you want to do, it's going to shake things up. And I knew that me choosing this career was going to change the course of my life, but it's something I had to do. And at the time, I never really knew about law of attraction or manifestation, but I realized later on in life what a powerful manifester I am. When I look back now on how things played out in my life, it's very apparent, but at the time I didn't understand. So basically, I started to write down you know, why I wanted to be a flight attendant. I started to get on Glassdoor and like study how the interview process, and back in the, in the day, getting into aviation was not easy. I mean, there were multiple layers of interviewing to go through. I mean, I think when I applied at the airline that I did, they, they told me there was, I think they said there was 2,500 applications and they only accepted 70. And I was one of the 70 that they accepted. So it was really hard to get into. And so I'm going through this management process. I'm, I want to be a flight attendant and timing's never right. I could never figure out when I should apply. And it was time to visit my family on the East Coast. So we would take yearly trips back to New England to visit family because we were living out West. We'd been out there for about three and a half years at this point. And I said to my ex, I said, listen, like, why don't we fly home separately and see our families? Because my ex didn't get along with my parents. My parents didn't like my ex. My parents didn't like my ex's family. It was drama. (laughs) So we were like, well, let's take the drama out and fly home separately. That way we don't have to you know, cause issues with our families. Perfect, right? And also, I knew I needed to become comfortable flying and traveling by myself. If I wanted this career, I had to learn how to fly home solo and to navigate airports. It was very daunting and it sounds funny now, but I was super sheltered growing up. I'd come from a cult. You know, I broke away and got a job. I was moving my way. I moved to the West Coast. Like there were so many different things that I was doing. This was just another, another part of the plan notch in my belt, so to speak. So I flew home, had a good visit, decent visit, uh, went to fly back. And I'll never forget, I was sitting at gate, gate C-15 at Logan International Airport in Boston. And I had gotten this really pretty Estee Lauder brown lipstick. And I was trying to find it because, you know, I was trying to be fancy. I'm like flying cross country, you know, jet setting Sophie. And I can't find it. And instead, I find this lip gloss, this cheap Forever 21 lip gloss that I had gotten in Vegas a couple weeks prior because we had gone out there for an anniversary trip. And uh, I'm like, well, I'll put this on. So I'm boarding the plane and I have my boarding pass and I'm like stepping into the plane and I'm looking at the galley and I'm looking at the plane and I'm just like obsessed with everything that I'm seeing, right? And I look at the flight attendants and they seem so cool and I wanted to talk to them, but I didn't want to bother them. So I'm like, you know what? I'll just let it be. So I go and I get my seat. We take off for probably like an hour or two into the flight and I feel a tap on my shoulder and I look over and the flight attendant's standing there and I'm thinking, what is she, what does she ask? You know? And she's like, Hey, I, I'm so sorry. I know you were probably sleeping. I don't want to disturb you, but when you got on the aircraft, I noticed your lip gloss and I just wanted to talk to you about it and see where you got it because I'm looking for some for my daughter. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, it was like a wide open door. And I was like, this is so, at the time I was like, this is God. And it, and it was, but it was so universally led. So we get to talking, lo and behold, she offers to be a reference for me for this airline. It was an East coast based airline. I was not sure how I was going to do it, but it's a door, it's a foot in, you know, I mean, you cannot say that that was not an opportunity. 
So I get, I land in Seattle. I tell my ex everything. I'm like, I can't even believe what happened. You'll never believe it. And I'm like, I have to, I have to pursue it. So next thing you know, I'm applying and it was like a six month process. I mean, it took forever to get through. And I finally got to the end step where I got an invitation to go to New York City to interview. And once this happened, my ex kind of just bailed. And he, he was just like, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to leave the West Coast. I don't want to move back. Because I knew I would probably have to move back to New England because I was probably going to become East Coast based. And old me, I think I had gone through so many transitions, even in that short period of like learning what I wanted and who I was and in some ways finding my own voice. That when he said that, I felt guilty because this was something that seemed selfish, but I knew I needed to do it. And I put my foot down and I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to not do this. And he's like, no, withdraw your application. And I said, no, no, I have to do this. I have been trying to help you become a pastor here for like three or four years. Didn't happen. Um, (laughs) I need you to show up. I need you to be there for me. And we went back and forth for a few days and eventually he's like, well, fine, I'll go. And he wasn't happy about it. And it was hard because I felt bad, but We ended up packing up everything again and moving back cross country. And I didn't know if I was going to get the job at this point. Basically, we were just moving on a whim. So as soon as we got back, I flew out to New York and interviewed. And um, within a month, I got the job invitation and was flying to Orlando for training. And all of that was so scary because even if you get to to the initial training, nothing is guaranteed. And... I had to pass so many different tests. And I remember going into that month-long experience was so freaking scary. I have always had a fear of failure. And this was so new to me. I had grown up homeschooled. I'm going into classroom learning. I'm trying to figure out how I study best. I started to do group study because that's what everybody was doing. And I found that I couldn't retain the information like everybody else. And I ended up failing a test. And that was, I think it was either two or three. If you failed two or three, you lost everything. You went home. You did not have a job anymore. So I'm sitting there after failing this test and I'm just, I can't even move. It was like I was cemented into my chair at this testing station. And one of the trainers came and sat with me. I'll never forget her. And she said, what's going on? I said, I can't do this. I, I can't do this. This is so hard. Like I'm, I failed a test. And she said, no, you can do this. I believe in you. You've got this. And she just sat with me for like 15 minutes and gave me the most amazing pep talk. And then we went on to another test and I ended up acing it. And she's like, see, you've got this. You've got this. And I remember that night in my hotel room, I got on my knees and I just surrendered. And I said, listen, I spoke to the universe. I spoke to God. I spoke to Jesus. I spoke to Buddha. (laughs) I want this so bad, but I can't control this. And so I surrender it. And if it's supposed to be, it will be. And I just like cried. And from that point on, I aced every test. I got a hundred, I believe on every test after that. And I would go on to get my wings, become Boston based and start a whole new chapter. And change my narrative yet again. And there was so much that would happen after that. But I just want to end it here because there's a whole other portion beyond that. But I hope in some way you can understand that changing your narrative is not easy. You know, it's really hard. But what's harder is living a life that's not authentic and true to you. So if you're listening to this, I hope that you've gained something from it. And what 
I'm hoping for this project, this podcast, is for it to evolve into this really healthy, exciting space for people to share their journeys of how they did the same thing as I did. Because if I've learned anything throughout this life, everybody has a story. Everybody has things they've gone through. And if we can sit together and learn from each other without judgment and having to prove our point, we can learn a lot and take a lot from it. This has been the first episode of the Changing the Narrative podcast, How I Changed My Narrative. If you've enjoyed what you've listened to, I hope that you'll check back weekly for new episodes and also share on your social and continue to follow. Thanks again. This has been Sophie Catherine, the Changing the Narrative podcast, and I hope to have you back here real soon. Have a great day.